We, uh, as a leadership team, have been trying to figure out when we go full guns a-blazing as far as post-COVID marketing and pushing the church and trying to get new people through the doors, and we kind of feel like now's the, now's the beginning of those conversations. We're, we're not quite ready to, to do our full push. Those of you that know the history of our church know that Easter of 2020 was when we were supposed to do our official grand opening launch here at Daylight Church, and we had 50,000 flyers in the mail that we had to call back because of COVID. And then COVID was kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a dark time, but a hard time in the church. And you, you kind of just, you're hanging on for dear life to, to try to survive. And thriving, thriving seemed kind of absent at that time. And, and so there were a lot of, there was a long period of time where we were all stuck in our houses. And I, my first couple sermons that I recorded during COVID were done on my phone at my desk. And we didn't even have the tech in place to, to really do them well. And Chris Booker was hounding me during those times. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Because he's the guy. You may have even noticed we've got new swiveling cameras now so he can get us I, I'm allowed to do this now look at this look at this hey are you following me Booker I don't know if they're catching me online but I can I can come down here with you guys now which I'm pretty excited about and so thanks Chris Booker for for all the tech work you've done but we uh just stay in the light just stay in, stay in, stay in the light stay, that's that's which happens to be the title of my sermon this morning. <laughs> but as we, as we do this, we're, we're, we're asking a lot of important questions. And kind of one of the main questions we're asking is why. Like, why, why do this thing? I remember when we were raising funds to start Daylight Church about seven years ago, I made a short list of people that, who, who, could generate don't, or who could donate generously. And the top of that list was, was a person in the medical field that I knew had money and means and had supported my ministry personally. And I contacted them and gave them the whole spiel and sent our church proposal out. And they texted me back and said, they said, Louisville already has so many churches. Why does it need another one? And didn't give. And it was just like this soul-crushing moment. And it was, it's a good question. There's, there's so many churches in Louisville and, and so many churches in the Midwest. that Why, why another church? And why, why, why do the Daylight Church thing anyway? And and so now that we're kind of rebuilding and we're looking at what, it's kind of cheesy, a new dawn. It's, it, we're coming out of a dark period and daylight represents the sunrise and, and we want to push forward with something new. But, but we have to ask the question why? Like, like what is the heart behind it? And, and I, think, I think the video that you just saw about deconstruction and, and theology and people where, where our culture is as far as Christianity is, is part of the big reason why. I sat with a good friend of mine. And I'm going to do this because this is fun. I sat with a good friend of mine this week and had lunch, and this person continues to work, is employed by a church and draws their salary from a church and grew up in church and, and was a, a lover and follower of Jesus, but has seen so much what he, what he would describe as utter crap inside the church that he's, he has effectively abandoned the faith. And he, I asked him, are you comfortable calling yourself an atheist now? And he said, yes. And, and it, it had a lot to do with treatment from people and manipulation by leaders and control, grasping power control and grasping of power by, by pastors, but then there were also biblical situations and, and biblical difficulties that he just couldn't reconcile that haunted him. And so, so he, he's left the church. He hasn't actually left the church. He's kind of not out as an atheist at this point, but he's, he's there. And, he, and he, he talked about specifically the personal arrogance that he carried, that he, that he feels like he carried towards people as a Christian, like, like it was almost mandated that as a Christian that you see yourself as one who has arrived and all the other people as, as people who have not. And he saw this among himself. And, and I, I recognize that the pendulum can shift and there's, there's like a hipster snobbery that can occur when you, when you deconstruct as well. 
And I think he would have recognized that too. But, but it was just this amalgamation of stuff that kind of drove him from Christianity and ultimately drove him from Jesus. And so he, he, he at this point says that, he, that Jesus has some appeal to him. He still admires Jesus. He admires the moral teachings of Jesus. He thinks Jesus revolutionized the moral landscape of society, and he appreciates that, but he doesn't consider Jesus as divine. And so when, when our leadership team, this is one of the places we meet on our staff meetings on Monday nights, Core Life Eater. If you haven't eaten there, you haven't lived. It's just really, really good stuff. But, but we sit around a table, not at this one. This is just a picture I found online, but an outdoor table similar to this one. And we're asking questions like, if Daylight Church grows, like who do we want it to grow through? What, what kind of people are we talking about? That if, if, if Right now there's about 50 or 60 people here. To, there's about 40 in this room and about 10 or 20 in the kids and youth. And if, what if we were running 160 two years from now or three years from now? If we added 100 people between now and then, where did they come from? And, and that, that will direct our marketing. That will direct how we, how we think as a church, how we establish events as a church and so forth. And in order to do that, we've, we've had to ask the questions about, like, what are our strengths? The people we want to reach, why, why would they come to daylight? Why would they even walk through the door? And if they did walk through the door, why would they stick? And, and, and ultimately, to answer the question of where, who these people are, we had to kind of answer the question of what we are. Like, what, what is important to us? And the first, place, first answer I came up with is that we're a safe place to journey. In one of the bathrooms in the back, you'll find a plaque that reads this verse. It's out of Proverbs 4. It says, The road the righteous travel is like the sunrise, getting brighter and brighter until daylight has come. Daylight, there it is. You found it. Thanks. <laughs> and, and this has been an important verse to me since we started the church because for, for several reasons. But this word righteous, it always kind of bugs me when we refer to Christians as the righteous, or, or in some translations it says the just, because that carries over that kind of snobbery that, that my friend was talking about, where we consider ourselves to have escaped what everybody else has not yet escaped. And we kind of think there's, there's like this subtle superiority to it. And so I was looking this word up in the, in the Hebrew, and it's sadiq is the way it's pronounced. And that's not it. That's not it. Hold on one second. I need my glasses. There we go, sadiq. Sadiq in the Hebrew. And sadiq... It's translated as the just or the righteous, but it, it has a much deeper meaning than that. It's, it's that you're just and right in your governance or your cause or your character or your vindication. And so, so it means if, if you're just in your cause, it means your life purpose is important. If you're just in your character, it means that you're, you're striving for what is good. And so, so it paints this picture not of those who have arrived and are superior, but as those who are, are getting, getting a grip on life. And the nice thing about this passage is that it describes those people not as having arrived, but upon a journey. It doesn't, it, it doesn't say the, the righteous are righteous and superior and above. It says they're, they're on a road. That, that, that's a journey. That's, that's a nomenclature of travel. It means I'm going somewhere. It doesn't mean I've arrived at some place. It means I'm, I'm headed somewhere. It says it's, it's like the sunrise. It's travel. It uses the word, this sadiq, the road that Sadiq travel. And it says they're brighter and brighter, and it speaks of personal improvement. It's, it speaks of growing, growing in character and motive and heart and vindication. Vindication, of course, being uh, justification. And it says that we're on a journey. And so I've always liked this passage because it, it paints a picture of what we kind of hope to accomplish at Daylight Church is that each of us is on a journey. It's not that we ever, when we're talking about God, when we're talking about the infinity of God, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, and how, how big and huge and unthinkable he is, to ever think that we've arrived at the place where we are like God and with God appropriately is, 
kind of silly in the, in the opposite of humility. And so I think it's important that we recognize that Daylight Church is a safe place to journey. I've, I've actually started writing again, and I started writing a book called The Baby in the Bath, and I think I'm talking about fleshing the crap and holding on to Jesus is maybe the subtitle. I'm not sold on that at this point. <laughs> but does somebody say, please don't? Let's talk. And, and you know, the, the phrase throwing the baby out with the bathwater is, is a lot of what's happening in the church with deconstructionists is they, they're, they're, they're tired of feeling like they have to hate their gay friends. They're tired of feeling like they have to worship politics. They're tired of feeling like the Bible is the third member of the Trinity and, and, and that Christians think they're morally superior. And they're tired of reading slavery and, and so forth in the Bible and not having a good answer for that. And they're tired of all of it. And so they just throw out the whole thing. And I think there's a different, a different way to do this thing. And I think there's a way to parse out what's, what, what you can flush down the drain and what you, can, what you can hold on to. And each of those is a unique and interesting conversation. But I'm hoping that Daylight Church is a safe place to say, what the what? And what I mean by that is there's, there's stuff buried in Christianity and specifically buried in the scriptures and buried, buried in some of the anti-science attitudes of the church and and some of the, the racial tension that goes on in the church where, where we, can, we can look at it and say, there is something wrong with this picture. My, my, our, our executive leader, Rusty, said this this week. He said, he said, the deconstructionists are asking all the right questions. They're just not asking them in the right places. There's not safe places for us to confront Scripture and confront attitudes and confront the, the prevalence of, of superiority that maybe occurs in the church. And I think I think, I think the church has a lot to offer, and there's, there's an honesty that could, could look like confidence often looks like pride, so we don't want to necessarily throw out that bathwater with the baby either. But I think I want Daylight Church to be a safe place where we look at scriptures. For example, this one in Exodus 21. Now read this with me and see if it doesn't make you a little uncomfortable. If a man beats his slave, so this is the Mosaic law handed down from God to Moses. If a man beats his slave with a club and the slave dies as a result, the owner must be punished. But if the slave recovers within a day or two, then the owner shall not be punished, since the slave is his property. I should have clarified if I wanted you to read out loud with me, and I didn't. I apologize for that. Wouldn't it have been better if the Mosaic Law said, don't own people? Don't beat people? Right? I mean, can, can, and, and there's, I think there's solid apologetics that can confront these passages and, and talk about them in particular, but then also talk about what biblical inspiration looked like and how, how it was appropriated through time and culture. And I think, I think there's ways to address this, but can't we raise an eyebrow at this passage and say, well, th this doesn't sound like the Word of God. I mean, sure, surely if God wanted to speak to us, He would just say, don't own people. Owning people is a bad idea, but it doesn't say that. It says, it says stuff like this buried within the law. And I think it's fair to raise an eyebrow and say, what the what? Or this one, where where the, the armies of God were commanded, now therefore kill every male among the little ones. All the, all the baby boys, kill them. That's, I mean, we don't even want to read these, do we? We don't want to admit that this is in our, in our holy scriptures, but it is. It says, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. So every woman who's been sexual, who's not a virgin, kill her. But all the girls who have not known a man intimately, spare for yourselves. Keep the virgins for yourselves. What? The what? Now, I'm, I'm not going to get into A&E war rhetoric and, and what, what was going on here, but it, it's fair and helpful to reevaluate how we approach Scripture. It's fair and helpful to say, maybe it's not all cut and dried and black and white and super easy. 
Maybe some of it's really hard. And we're, I want Daylight Church to be a safe place where we can put these passages on the screen and say, they're in there, now let's deal with them, let's cope with them, let's figure out, can we, is there anything salvageable from this mess? Because these, do we admit that these are messy, messy, ugly, terrible passages? And this is a safe place to do that. And I'm not, I've been in enough churches to know that not all churches are safe places where you can do that. And that's something important to me. So when we evaluate why, day, why do the daylight thing, this is part of the conversation. I want us to be a place that has our bees in order, and this is what I mean. So many churches, and, and I promise this isn't meant to be a, a, a church bashing service. It, it's, my heart behind it is to say, what, what do we want to do to reach our culture? And so many churches place belief and behavior as the primary bees. That's what you're supposed to accomplish when you come into church, is to acquire the correct beliefs and appropriate the correct behaviors. And so much of what goes on in churches is about those. And I just want to change our bees. So belief and behavior are certainly important. How you believe affects how you behave. Behavior is, the, is, is morality, and the scriptures teach a lot about morality. And loving your neighbor is a, is a behavioral-based command. So I don't want to diminish those, but I, but I do want to point out that I think, I, I think behavior and beliefs stem out of belonging, belovedness, and being, and not the opposite way. See, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of religious folk think that if I behave the right way, and I believe the right way, then I will be the beloved of God. Then I will belong to him, and I will, I will, I will find my moral center or my being in that. And I'm, I'm of the opinion that it works in the opposite direction, that being, belonging, belovedness is where behavior and belief come out of. And so I want to make sure we get that in the right order. I have a letter here from a good friend of mine who, who talked about her spiritual journey, and, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a long letter, so I'm, I'm pulling excerpts out of it. But she talks about growing up as a, as a child. I love this line. She, said, she says as a child that she, has a, she had an angelic visitation, and she was convinced that God existed, and she communicated with God and invited him into her life. Um, but never, never had that decision moment where you respond to an altar call or pray the sinner's prayer with somebody. It's just God was kind of always there. And she says, she says, my concept of God was probably more accurate as a very young child than it would be any time in the foreseeable future, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Jesus says, come to me as a child. And eventually she says, my spiritual journey beginning at such a young age took the path of becoming a mess of bad theology and doctrine as I grew up, resulting in what I call fingernail faith. I held on and refused to give up, even though I became filled with a sense of my failure and fear of God, what God would end up doing to me. I believed I wasn't chosen by God and was trying to get, I'm sorry, I wasn't chosen and God was trying to get me to quit. Looking back, of course, I now realize it was God who refused to give up on me. She said, I learned that acceptance by God was based on the life choices that I made. As a teen of the 70s, the 60s were still shaping society, so the focus of, quote, sin was indicated to be sex, drugs, cigarettes, and alcohol. And of course, God was watching me. I was a spiritual mess. Fear and failure were the rulers by which I evaluated my life. It was my failure to be obedient enough to God's standards of behavior that continued to give life to my fears of eternal damnation. Of course, this brief sketch doesn't address family dysfunction, issues of abuse, addiction, depression, and so on, but all of those were present. Pervasive guilt and shame became the companion of fear, and, the ruler, and my ruler became a yardstick. She talks about dabbling in the occult for a while, and there were some re repercussions from dabbling in the occult. And she says, 
As a young adult, I, attained, I attended mainline churches, again, learning basic Bible teachings. But I wanted more, and God is ever faithful to provide the desires of our hearts. And I met some charismatic people and began attending a full gospel church. Here I learned of the Holy Spirit, and my spiritual life began to change in beautiful ways. I experienced the reality of the Spirit, but in damaging, hurtful ways, the sins of certain individuals affected our lives. She says, legalism was the law of this church. My daughter was abused by an elder, and we were told it was our job to keep her away from him. I was drawn into an almost cult-like atmosphere. I felt so lost and emotionally needy that I craved the sense of family they offered. Due to the ongoing abuse of my daughter, we finally left the church after about eight years. My head was full of scriptural inconsistencies. My view of God was shaped by rejection and unworthiness. My concept of God as a father was angry, and I had been taught that Christianity had no place for reason or intellect. Then she goes on to talk about a healthy church that she was involved in for a while that started to, to right that wrong and, and steer that ship in the right direction. And, and then, because her husband traveled so much, they, they didn't attend church for several years. And she says we were pretty much without a permanent church for several years, and she needed those years of freedom to kind of adjust. And I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say, why is Daylight Church great? Because we want Jesus to be the center here. But I, I think we're doing a work here that's important. And so, so I, I'm happy to read the parts about Daylight Church and, and that people are thankful for what we do. She says, through a series of amazingly God-ordained circumstances, I was told about Daylight Church. I agreed to give it a try. And upon my first visit, I knew God had a purpose for my attendance there. Through Daylight Church, God has fleshed out all he had been opening my eyes and ears to along my journey. I learned what acceptance truly means, what love really is, that questions are good, doubts are normal, and God's not afraid of either. I've learned pastors are not God. You don't have to agree with everything they believe or say, that you are the owner of your own mind and that God expects you to use it. I've learned that obedience isn't an obligation, rather it's an amazing gift with great rewards. I've been given the space to learn and grow according to God's time frame for my life. I've been challenged. I've been changed. I have moved onward, finally understanding grace. And so, sorry, that's a little bit emotional for me. When we, when we talk about why we do Daylight Church, the, 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 the belief and behavior as primary function is, is rampant in the church. And I want people to know that they can come here and ask questions People don't, belief and behavior are important, but they're not preeminent. So a person can come here and not believe what we believe and be a part of this community, and I'll, I'll live and die on that hill. And however long that journey takes, if ever, they're welcome to walk that journey here. People are welcome to come here if they're not the study, if they're not the ones who have it all in, in line and have their lives in order, and, and it's, it's you and me, kind of. And they're welcome to sit in these chairs and be a part of our groups and be a part of our events and be a part of our community and be fully engaged while becoming brighter and brighter until the full light of day. So there's no, there's no, there's no check the box at the door when people come in here as to behavior. There's no check the box at the doors when people come in here as to belief. I also want us to be a place that resists. The, the story you just heard was... A place that was a story that illustrates how rampant abuse is in the church. Sexual abuse is rampant in the church. Spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, control is all rampant in the church. I've experienced it, and a lot of you have experienced it. I've heard your stories. I know a lot of you have experienced it, and it's, it's, it's way, way more common. If I'm an atheist, that's the hammer. That's, that's the, the table that I pound constantly. 
is I would say the gospel doesn't do what you say the gospel says it will do. I would say that because there's so much corruption and nastiness in the church. And, and I don't want to, and I, I recognize that daylight has its flaws and daylight has its problems, but we're going to resist manipulation. I, I'm always torn when somebody doesn't show up for church for a few weeks because part of me wants to call them and say, you've been missed. I love you. I want you to know, I want you to know that I've noticed you're not here. But then part of me fears the thing because, because so many churches call to say, why weren't you in church this Sunday? And there's that, that weird motive and heart behind it. And I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to solve all those problems, but I do want to say that we're not going to be a church that's ever going to call you and say, why weren't you in church on Sunday? Or your clothing, don't you think you want to dress a little more appropriately to worship the Lord? Or whatever, whatever the control thing is that, that, that was used over you. Or, or I'm, I'm the pastor, and therefore everything I say is gold, and you must take it. I, I love the part of, uh, that this, this friend shared that says, pastors are not God, and I don't have to agree with or believe everything. When we, when we speak here at Daylight Church, I want you to evaluate it and use your own mind and make decisions for your own journey. And so we want to resist abuse in, in, in all of its forms. We, I just threw this in here because I think money is an important issue when it comes to church and the deconstructing is that so, so much abuse has happened with money. And we're going to play, I, I put open thrift because I had to fit it on a slide somehow. But what I just mean is we're going to be very transparent with our money. You, you can ask any question about anything you want when it comes to our finances and we'll, we will tell you the answers and we'll do it without fear. And we're going, to, we're going to be a thrifty church. We're, we're going to do our best to invest in people and invest in the community. And, and, and as you've been able to see, we, we're not having to invest very heavily in, in our facilities because God has blessed us. And so I just want, I know, I know money is an issue with the church, and it's, it's an issue we're aware of and we're, we're careful about. It doesn't mean that we're perfect with it, that we always make the right decisions where money is concerned, but we do our best to recognize that people, people have jobs and and when, when people give in the offering, that's, it's a legitimate sacrifice, and we, want to, we, want to take, we don't want to ever want to take that for granted. I also want to make sure that we recognize that this is a safe place for, for what I put living water. When we, when we talk about flushing the, the bath water, but we, don't, we don't want to paint this picture that all is wrong with the church, and all is wrong with, with the church service, and, and every church manipulates, and every church does their money poorly, or anything like that. And we, we also don't want to paint the picture like there's no... There's no objective to the journey because we, we believe that God created mankind as the imago Dei, as in the image of God, and that every human person has intrinsic and inestimable value, that you are important. And I just wanted to say this during, when I was praying during the service. I just want you to know that God sees you. He, he gets what you're feeling today. He gets where you hurt. He gets where you're lonely. He gets your pain. And, and we want to make sure that, that we recognize that, that God really does show up and transform lives, and the gospel does actually do what the gospel says it will do. And we want, we want this to be a place where, where believers can come and also worship. And so, so we're not just looking for the disenfranchised. We're not just looking for the, the kicked out and the, the ostracized and so forth. We're also looking for people who want to come in and be a part in the mission of reaching those people and helping those people and being transformed themselves. And so Jesus is the center here. And we want Jesus to always be the center here. And we don't, we don't want to dance around that trying to, you know, we don't want to do a little fancy dance trying to impress people with just how, how culturally relevant we are. Because Jesus is, man, he, he's an unsafe God. He, he will come in and he will transform you and change you. And we don't ever want to get away from that message either. We also want this to be a place of mind and spirit. I know people that are so, so spiritual that they just don't seem to think a whole lot. And, 
And, and I would put myself in the camp of somebody who's so uh, thinking that spirituality comes challenging for me. There's, there's both sides of that coin. And it, I, I believe God wants to show up and do miraculous things, but man, I also want to process everything and figure everything out. And I just want us to be a church that embraces people in both camps and that, that we believe the Holy Spirit moves and the Holy Spirit wants to do miracles and the Holy Spirit wants to touch people in ways that they couldn't, couldn't ever manufacture themselves. But then we've also seen situations where words of knowledge and words of wisdom and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were used to manipulate and control and, and, and impress when impress, impressing wasn't on the docket for the day. And so we just want to be, we want to be compassionate and kind towards people while also recognizing that God really does want to speak into people's lives, really does want to show up, and we don't want to manipulate those things. In, in one of the passages of Scripture where Paul's talking about speaking in tongues in the church, and he says, everybody's speaking in tongues, and the, the unbeliever comes in and thinks you're all a bunch of kooks and thinks you're all crazy, and he says these words. He says, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And so it means that you can be both. It means you can be a very spiritual person in touch with the Holy Spirit and moving along the Holy Spirit's desires, but also thinking through how you do that, when you do it, and what God's trying to do. So with all that in mind, when we talk about who we're trying to reach and who, who is daylight for and what are our strengths and why, why do the daylight thing, it's kind of this list. It's those that are deconstructing and those that are reconstructing. It's those that have been manipulated and abused and those who are tired and scared and confused and kicked out and not right. Seekers, the fed up, the angry, also the missional, the legalists. One of the, one of the greatest blessings of my life has been when people can't come to Daylight Church and say, man, I was just involved in legalism, and I recognize that now. And there's, there's a reverse coin of legalism too, but I, I just love to see people free from, from legalism, and the addicted and the exvangelicals. And and ultimately, it's the pseudo-Sadiq. So when we talk about the Sadiq, those, those, the just, the righteous, all of us are kind of like pseudo-Sadiq. We're, we're never quite, I uh, got it all together, but we're on this journey together trying, trying to get there. And that's, that's what we want at Daylight Church is all of us being on that journey together. And it, it ultimately means you and me. And, and I'm, I'm definitely on a journey. I'm definitely confused. I'm definitely tired. I've definitely been manipulated and abused. And so I just hope you know that the pastor has been, has been there and it's a safe place to be that person. It's a place, safe place to walk a journey. So what is the stuff? Like, we've, we've talked a little bit about vision and who we're trying to reach and, and how we see the world, but I started thinking about some of, the, some of the cultural issues and where I stand on the cultural issues and where my leadership team stands. And I can't, I can't speak for you guys and I can't speak fully for them. I did, I did run this list past Rusty who's our executive leader, as I mentioned, and he was like, yes, 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 uh, don't use that one, yes, yes, don't use that one. And so I ditched a few uh, just because they didn't carry the same weight. But here's some stuff that I can tell you that I, as the pastor, ascribe to. And it's, and it's cool if you don't, just like my friend said, it's cool if you don't view, view me as accurate on these things. But this is some of the stuff that you can count on coming from the pulpit at this church. And one is that the Bible was not written in English. And this is a long one, and I promise they're not all like this. Translation and contextualization is not simple. The Bible is supremely important, but understanding inspiration and how it was inspired is very complex. It's not a phone book or a meme, and it isn't a third member of the Trinity. It reveals the Word of God, Jesus. 
And so you're going to hear from me that I believe Jesus is the Word of God and the Scriptures are there to highlight Him and to show Him and it's a continual narrative that points to Him. And so that enters into the conversation when we say, what about slavery? When we say, what about rape culture? And when we say, what about these genocide in the Scriptures? And a lot of it can be will be tackled through that mentality that the scriptures weren't meant to be read as a phone book and a list of yes, 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 no, no, no's, but instead it was supposed to be a narrative. And we don't have time to get into that today, but just understand that that's what you're going to hear from me. You're going to hear that certainty seeking faith can be an idol, that some people, they, they believe the right way to reach God is to believe the right things perfectly and unfalteringly, and you're not going to hear that from this pulpit. You're going to hear that fruitiness is the highest ideal, Here's what I mean by that. There's, there's a list in the scriptures of what it calls the fruit of the Spirit. It says if you're connected to the Holy Spirit, you will experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says against such, there is no law. So, in, so when we talk about the Sadiq, the, the ones who are just or righteous, it's not the ones who behave appropriately, who, who like my friend mentioned, it's not about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's about character. And so you're not going to hear me a whole lot ascribe particular behaviors in this church where you ought to do this or you ought to do that. I'm going to encourage you to read the Bible. I'm going to encourage you to love your neighbor. I'm going to encourage you in these areas. But we're going to talk about character a lot. And we want you to experience love. We want you to experience joy and peace and patience and kindness and so forth. And do you see that the reason the author can say it so confidently is against their, such there is no law is because if a person is filled with love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control, and so forth. Behavior is a cakewalk. We don't target the behavior. We target the character. We, tar we target the internal work that Jesus wants to do in people. And as he transforms people's character, behavior just falls in line. And that's where the focus is going to be here. We're going we're gonna to focus on a little fruitiness around here. We recognize that mental health issues are real and deserving of exploration and study and that understanding the intersection between volition and chemistry is challenging. I'm going to fly through some of these because I could preach on each one of them and probably will eventually. We recognize that human sexuality and how it intersects with theology is supremely complicated. And again, I'm not going to touch that one today, but we just recognize that it's not super simple. We recognize that politics are important and religion is important, but they are not the same, and followers of Jesus are capable of voting different ways. This may be one of the situations where you say, well, I disagree with the pastor, and it's okay because you're free to do that here. Welcome. Abuse within the church is rampant and unacceptable. Race-based hegemony is real, and its results lingering. And a healthy path forward is necessary and complicated. I just, I just found out that we're going to host uh, a wonderful event here in, next month where um, Tony Evans is going to speak to a group of pastors, which I'm pretty excited about, on, on the issues of racial equity and healing. And uh, we're very serious about confronting these issues. It doesn't mean we're going to get them perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to be, uh, revolutionize the world, but we're, we're going to recognize that these are challenging issues and we're going to talk about them. We don't seek autonomy or uniformity, and we desire unity. And there's a difference in kenosis. And it's Philippians chapter 2 where it says, uh, it, says, it says we should be in one mind, we should be in unity, we should be in one accord. It says this over and over, one mind, one heart, one unity. Over, over and over it says that, and, it says, and then it says what that one thing is. So there's lots of stuff we could be in agreement on, how, how to baptize your kids, when to take the sacraments, and so forth. 
the thing that we're going to follow is this kenosis, which it says, it says you should have the same attitude as, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself a servant. And so when we talk about what we're going to be unified on, we're not going to have autonomy, we're not going to have uniformity, where we all are little robots who follow the H.L. Hussman's teachings, and we, we all have the, you know, this list of stuff that we sign off on. That's not what we're going to do at all. But we are going to be unified in this one thing that we're supposed to lay down our lives for the other. We're supposed to take up the cross and sacrifice ourselves for someone else. We're supposed to love God first and love others. And then finally, I had somebody yesterday say, I thought your shirt said, Jesus ate everyone. That's Daybright Church. That's Andrew Lutz Church, and that's a, he's a false teacher. Jesus did not eat everyone. But we are wanting to create a space where wherever you're at on this journey, you're welcome in these seats. Wherever you're at on this journey, you're welcome with us as we go downtown and we feed. Wherever you're at on this journey, you're welcome to show up at our nightlight service and pace these aisles and pray. You, you connect with God the way you connect with God, and we're going to create a space for that. And we're, we're going to do our best to help you along that journey. And anyone can come. And that's... That makes for a messy church. It does. It's going, to make for, it's going to make for people that you bump heads with in the church. Everybody, everybody wants a church where they can come to and feel like, well, I just get along with everybody. And that's just not the church. That I, that, that, it, did you ever read the disciples and what Jesus' followers were like? Jesus ate with everyone. I'm going to invite my friend Hannah Potter to come up, up here. And Hannah wrote me a letter this week talking about her experience with, with daylight and with, with Jesus. And I just wanted her to read it to you real quick. And where is the microphone? Do you have it? So when HL asked me to write about why daylight was important to me, I realized I'm a pretty good writer, but not so great of a speaker. So I'm going to read over this and do my best here. Um, to understand why daylight church is important, I feel like first I've got to tell you what it is, at least to me. Um, daylight is a home for the broken. It's a place of peace for those in chaos. And it's a place where shame and fear are laid to rest and the warmth of God's embrace is offered not only through scripture, but also through the acceptance and love freely given by the daylight community. At Daylight Church, you'll find us, the real us, the sinners, the users, the addicts, the weak, the afraid, we are flawed, and like he said, we're messy. We can be really messy. Um, you'll find that we doubt things and we question things a lot. That's what makes us us. We know what it's like to be all of those things. We know what it's like, and we find our strength in Jesus and in our community. When I come to daylight, I was terrified. I was incredibly broken and deeply afraid of God. I was wary of religion and Christians as a whole. A life of regrets, a history of deeply painful trauma, 
and combined with an upbringing in a religion that felt harsh and threatening, had pushed me away from God. I was ashamed of my life, my history, the choices I had made, and even more for the ones that I had allowed to be made for me. I came to daylight with the expectation that if anyone actually knew me, they would turn their backs to me. I had sinned against God so many times, enthusiastically, I might add. I had done so much damage to myself and to those that I cared about, surely even God would turn away from me. What I found could not have been further from my expectations. At daylight, I found people like me, people who were flawed, people who had been broken, who had been lost, people who had been found. Those people shared their stories, and I watched. People showered them with kindness, with love, with support. That was not what I expected at all. In each of those stories, I heard the way that God had transformed a life, and I wondered if maybe that was possible for me too. I heard that the burdens we carry can be given over to him. I heard that he asked not for perfection, but just for us to turn towards him. That was all he wants. And that was so different from what I had been taught. God was not looking for my flaws. He's looking for my wounds. And he just wants to heal those. I heard all of that, and I wept. God does not require misery from me and payment for my sins. I was amazed. I heard scripture that professed of God's love for us, the forgiveness he offers us, and the joy that's found in his grace. I heard the stories of Jesus and his followers and how flawed they were, and he chose them to follow him. And I wondered if he might have chosen me. And then the more I listened, I learned that he already had. At daylight, I learned of a God that loves me, that rejoices in my very existence, that God forgives me and he offers me redemption, a God that saw my wounds, wants to heal them, a community that accepts me and loves me, a safe place to be vulnerable and to ask those questions, to be myself. I found that I could help others. And in turn, I started to heal myself. I found a way to let go of my shame, to forgive people and myself for my weaknesses, and let go of the anger that I had for other people and for mostly myself. Most importantly, I found a path to Jesus. There is no perfect human. There is no story that doesn't have parts that we don't wish to erase. Throughout this imperfect life, though, there is the perfect love of God. And on those days that threaten to break me, on those times when I am just barely hanging on, there's something that I think about that I actually heard here at daylight and something that I just try to remember. In God, I have a Father who adores me, who watches over me and rejoices with me. And of God, I have a father who wants to dance with me. I just told Hannah that I was 
preaching a sermon that she could help me with and asked her if she wouldn't mind writing up, some, writing up a couple paragraphs about why daylight was important to her, and then she just preached my sermon. Wasn't that amazing? And Hannah, Hannah and Kedrick, I love these guys. I, I got to officiate their wedding. It was about a year ago now, wasn't it? So they're Mr. and Mrs. Kedrick Potter now, so that's pretty exciting. Congratulations. It's okay to clap again if you'd like. But they, they, they moved approximately an hour or so away, and it, it's really hard for them to make the trek now, so they've kind of joined our online community that shows up periodically, and, and that, that community is growing larger and larger. But I, I wanted to say all this. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the, the vision and the mission of Daylight and what this new dawn idea of what, you know, how, do we, how do we transition post-COVID to grow the church and to get people through the doors and so forth. And so I just wanted to close with one question as, as we talked about this being our target audience and, and the, the pseudo Sadiq, which in, includes you, is will you help us build this home? Will you, will you help us? So, so we need not just the broken and the downcast, which we all are in a sense, but we also need people who will be here for those people. And I, 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 over the next few weeks, we'll be talking specifics about what that looks like. But I'd, I'd like for you over this next week just to contemplate, is this, is this a place I can call home and is this a place I can invest in? Is it a place, can I, can I do the daylight thing too? And there's not much more to the call, the call for a response today, except just to contemplate that. Is this, is this a vision and a mission that you, you can invest in, that you can embrace? And I pray that it will be. And I, I think, I kind of view it like this, that we're starting over from scratch. When we started Daylight Church, we started with seven people. Today, we're starting with 50, if you'll, if you'll be a part of this team. And so over the next few weeks, you're going to hear some calls as to how you can effectively be a part of this team and make this a home for somebody.